0: Our scripture lesson today is from 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 11, and I'll be reading 17-34, till which is the end of the chapter. Hear God's words. In the following directives, I have no praise for you, for your meetings do more harm than good. In the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you, and to some extent I believe it. No doubt there have to be differences among you to show which of you have God's approval. So then, when you come together, it's not the Lord's Supper you eat. For when you are eating, some of you go ahead with your own private suppers. As a result, one person remains hungry and another gets drunk. Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God by humiliating those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? Certainly not in this matter until he comes. So then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ eat and drink judgment on themselves. That is why many among you are weak and sick, and a number of you have fallen asleep. But if we were more discerning with regard to ourselves we would not come under such judgment nevertheless when we are judged in this way by the lord we are being disciplined so that we will not be finally condemned with the world so then my brothers and sisters when you gather to eat you should all eat together anyone who is hungry should eat something at home so that when you meet together it may not result in judgment and when i come i'll give further directions This is the word of the Lord. Well, that's a cool picture. not seeing the slides on here, and they're not moving when I touch it, and that is the end of my technical ability. All right, thank you. Discerning the Body. The next slide. Um, Discerning the Body is my title today because that, to me, is the line in this passage that we have to um, come to understand. Um, Put that down. There's nothing I can do with it. Um, Next slide, please. So, this season of Lent, um, as I sent out and as I started the service by telling you, we're going to do Communion um, every Sunday, except for this Sunday. This Sunday is Preparation Sunday. And now, um, some of you probably remember, um, days gone by anyways, in my experience, when we used to do a preparatory Sunday, when we'd read the preparatory form, and then the next Sunday we would do Communion, right? And, and um, in fact, Pastor Brady told me, I'm asking permission right now, Brady, to use your name. Thanks, Brady. Um, Pastor Brady told me that he remembers that in his lifetime, and I don't know if you're aware of this, but he's a lot younger than I am. Um, I have not done the preparatory service that way, anyways, in in my ministry time. That may be location and other dynamics. Um, But I do remember it, and I do think it's important that we we think out loud once in a while about how we move through our traditions, right? So... um, When I don't read the preparatory form, and as you probably have noticed, I don't read many forms, that's not about any disagreement whatsoever with the content of those things. I love their theology. I think our forms actually have brilliant theology. I just don't think that theology, read the same way every single time you do something, is the best way to deliver it, right? And so, uh, while I love the content of the preparatory form, and I do think people should be prepared, I think that not reading, it. so I'll just tell you my experience in my first congregation when I'd read any form. As soon as I said, turn to page 10 such and such in the back of the hymnal, people would do that, and then their whole body language would say, okay, I wonder when he's going to be done, right? So it isn't about what was in there. It was about the fact that when you already know what's coming, I think you stop engaging, right? If I just preach the same sermon every week, you're going to go, well, we already know what he's going to say. I'll just wait till the end and then We'll move on to the next song right so it's just that dynamic thing i just wanted to point that piece out um, and then what we're going to be talking about today is is the idea of preparation because again i want to emphasize um of course we should be prepared i don't know that we should be prepared only for communion sundays i think in the reformation we put the word above all else i think every time you come to hear the word of god which of all goes well as every day of your life you should be prepared So this should be a ongoing constant thing that we are reminded of on a regular basis that our ongoing journey with Jesus requires that we pay attention to how am I doing, where am I at, what do I need to keep working at, right? I've told you before, I'll tell you again now, I'm in a number of different groups where people hold me accountable, ask me questions, help me continue to grow so that my relationship with God um, continues to grow as I lead you as your pastor, right? I think that's the pattern we're really looking for. Next slide, please. Thank you. No points for just showing up. In the following directives, Paul says, I have no praise for you for your meetings do more harm than good. That's a terrifying thought, right? You can come to church and worship with people, and it doesn't actually grow you, it diminishes you. Hopefully you haven't experienced that. It would happen if you came here and people said hurtful things to you, it would happen if you were a science school child and, and you got hurt in the group and nobody protected you or helped you. Right? There's all kinds of ways that we can understand that it's not just showing up that makes something work. It's not just having communion that makes communion work. There's a dynamic that takes place and we trust and we pray and we do our best to work with the Spirit so that when we experience communion, worship, all the things that we do together, it builds us up and helps us grow. Right? Paul is saying the version they're doing wasn't working that way. Next slide, please. It's complicated. This verse is complicated. I know it's complicated because I think it's hard, but then I read my favorite commentary on 1 Corinthians, which is Gordon Fee. It's in my office. You can read it. He has a nice long explanation of this, but it ends with, this is a strange thing for Paul to say because the entire letter of 1 Corinthians is you guys have a lot of divisions among you, Cut it out. Let's get together. And here he's going, yeah, maybe God just means for you to have division, so we'll know who's right or who has God's approval. I'm glad, I think, that he doesn't tell us which of the groups has God's approval here. Because that's sort of a dangerous thing when we have differences, right? We talked about that a couple of months ago. If we decide that the reason there's differences is because I'm right and the rest of you are wrong, I don't think that's the kind of humility that a community would be blessed by, right? So I trust and I assume Paul meant something else. Gordon Fee sends it sort of in this direction. Um, In 1 Corinthians, there there are all these divisions, and by this point, Paul has listed so many of them, he's probably exasperated with these people going, man, you guys have so many challenges, so many things where where you struggle, right? So clearly God's going to use this in some way to help us understand what truth is moving forward. All right, so it's not licensed to say, hey, every time there's a difference, what we gotta figure out is who's on the right team, who's on the wrong team, sometimes. But it's rather a way of saying, recognizing, when there are differences, it tells us there's something we need to keep talking about and figuring out and working through as we move forward to get to that place of combined and common truth. Next slide. So here's what was going on back then in 1 Corinthians 11. It's not the Lord's Supper you eat. They were eating. Some of you go ahead with your own private suppers. One person remains hungry, and another gets drunk. Now, I don't know about you, but I've never experienced communion where anybody could possibly get full, let alone go hungry, right? Or get drunk, because I've never seen any more than a symbol of this, and in most of my lifetime, we've been using juice and not alcohol, right? So, just a way of saying, this is not our circumstance we're dealing with here. There's something we can learn from it, but we don't live in the same world and we don't have communion in the same way. Their communion went like this. They didn't have a church building like this. They didn't have those cool silver trays that we had. right? What they would do is, somebody would invite people to their home. And their homes weren't even as big as our homes, so the people who owned the home were probably richer people in the community, and they likely invited their close friends earlier and said, hey, we're all getting together anyways, why don't you come early? They would start eating and then some of the other people, try not to use the word other when you're talking about people, some of them, try not to use them when you're talking about people, right? They would come later, and they might not make it into that inner circle where the bigger party was happening, and they might not actually get anything, and this was their version of communion, right? Again, that's not likely the issue we're going to deal with, but it does help us understand what's going on in this, um, in this passage here. I'm thinking, guessing really, that the reason we do communion in buildings together the way we do it now is precisely because it doesn't work that well when people were doing it at home. The church said we should probably gather in a common place that's not owned by anybody in particular but owned by the community and allows us to do sort of the things that we do now. It's a response to this kind of thing. Uh, that was going on then. Next slide, please. The institution. And I call it the institution because that's what our forms call this, right? This is what we call these words from Jesus. Um, when you heard me reading them, you probably re- recognized wait a minute, I think Pastor Eric says those exact same words every time we have communion. And if you didn't think that, think it for the next six, seven weeks as we have communion every time because these are the words that guide us and say this is what communion is about because this is what the Bible says. They're the words of institution. That's all I want to say about that. You will hear them a lot in the next number of weeks. Next slide. Now, these words. These words are the words quoted in the preparatory form. And I've been trying to think more and more. I I said a little bit about why I don't read the form. Part of it is the delivery. I was trying to think back to what was my childhood experience of hearing the preparatory form And especially hearing these words, whoever eats and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. And so when I first heard this, I was four, five, six. I wasn't Big Eric, I was Little Ricky, as my daughter likes to remind me. I'll tell you that story just quickly. My mother is a saver. She saved my kindergarten report card, on which it says, little Ricky has trouble tying his shoes. My daughter, unfortunately, got hold of that. And now, though I've always been much larger than her in her life experience, I am to her little Ricky. It's very wonderful. And I tell you that, one, because it's a fun story, of course, but more importantly because um, when you are young and small and you hear things, they shape you. Right? Most of the self-care work that I do has something to do with figuring out what's going on inside my head, where did that come from, and how do I find God's truth about that so I can find healing moving forward. Right? And, and I'm not going to suggest to you that the preparatory form scarred me, but I am going to say that these words can easily be misunderstood, um, especially because they are also a little bit complicated. Right? The words aren't, the meaning is. So, At first blush, four year year old Ricky hears these words and he goes, oh no, if I don't do this right, I'm in big trouble, right? That's the thought. Because this unworthy manner, and in our tradition we've kind of leaned into this, this unworthy manner seems to mean that if you don't understand exactly how communion works, then you're probably doing this wrong and you probably shouldn't be, right? And the problem with that, of course, is communion is actually a mystery, right? This is my body. No, this is a loaf of bread. No, this is his body. No, it's still a loaf of bread. And there's a mystery about how your taking this bread in faith feeds you and nurses you in your soul, right? We just need to understand it's meant to be a mystery. It's also meant to be a symbol and a sign. It's meant to be something that connects us with the truth of the gospel of what Jesus did for us in his death and resurrection. But it's meant to be that by way of symbol, right? Um, We have in our tradition a strong emphasis, and again, I enjoy this strong emphasis on learning and understanding, right? And sometimes I think, if I may say, that we overemphasize knowing and we underemphasize feeling and mystery, right? So as I was growing up, I did profession of faith at 17 in grade 12, which was the norm then, still sort of is for many of us, and did it then based on my ability to know what they had taught me, right? And knowledge is wonderful, but it's not your knowledge and understanding of theology that builds and gives you your relationship with Jesus Christ, it's the gift of faith. It's the work of the Holy Spirit, right? And we need to continue to manage the way we balance those two things. Sure, If um, so I have one guy talking to me right now. He wants to join us. He's really smart and really likes doing research. I told him, I don't tell everybody this, but you've got to read all of this stuff because you can and you'll actually enjoy it, right? For other people, I'll say to them, right, where are you at with this? And, and I'll get an understanding. I'm realizing I can give them a book to read. They're probably not going to read it. So do I have to say to them, unless you know enough you can't participate? No, of course we don't say that. We don't say that in all kinds of contexts. And then as our, con- as our denomination, the Christian Reformed Church, started moving towards children participating in communion, we came to understand that you can't ask a seven-year-old to understand communion the way an adult would. There's just different ways of learning and understanding. And that forced us, or helped us, I would say, to think harder about what does it really mean to understand and participate in a worthy, understanding kind of manner. Now let me just tell you this. What this passage is talking about, is what we just looked at. The unworthy manner was, some people were eating way too much and getting drunk, and other people were going hungry, all right? That's the unworthy manner in this passage. So maybe I'm saying it's not really the right passage or context to help us understand how we need to prepare. It's one of them, but there's a whole bunch of other ways we need to understand our heart being in the right place Right? because there's not much chance that some of you are going to go ahead because you can't have bread until we give it to you. Correct? right? So that's not our, our challenge here. And then this, because there's lots in this passage. You'll be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. So again, four-year-old Ricky's terrified by that. I don't want to sin against the body and blood. Of the Lord. I don't even know what that means, but I don't want to do it. It sounds horrible because it's Jesus and I love Jesus. But sinning, one good simple definition of sin is to miss the mark, right? You're supposed to be going this way, that's the right way, and you veer off this way. Eating communion wrong is missing the mark and not really understanding or experiencing what these two elements are all about, and the simple corrective of that is say I'm sorry and then do it better the next time, have better hospitality the next time, right? I mean, I grew up thinking, I'm terrified about communion because what if I'm not right enough? And then as I grew and learned and shared and became a pastor, I realized, of course I'm not right enough. Jesus did this first with Peter the denier, Judas the traitor, Simon the zealot, and a whole bunch of people who ran away from him, right? This isn't about preparing yourself well enough. It's about opening yourself to God How do you want to prepare me? What does your spirit want to do in my heart and in my life to prepare me to follow you more and more and more? It's that ongoing journey. Next slide, please. So now what body? So last time the body was the body of Christ as represented in the cup and the bread. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ eat and drink judgment on themselves. And the first thing I want to note in these words is you don't have to discern the, bl- the, the blood of Christ here, just the body. Seems intentional because he says, eat and drink, discern the body, and you're going, and blood. And then it says, eat and drink again. So it feels to me, check me if I'm wrong, that he intentionally left out the blood part. Why? Here's my best guess. Because when I refer to you as the body of Christ, I never refer to you as the blood of Christ. You're welcome for that. Right? So what he's talking about here is, again, these people were having a party without some of the people. So some of you were having a great time and others of you weren't even participating in communion. And he's saying if you're not discerning the body, in other words, if you're not paying attention to the fact that everybody here is part equally of the body of Christ, then you're missing it. Right? So again, the big problem here in Corinth was the way they distributed and had this celebration. Right? It wasn't that they understood, discerned exactly how the body of Christ was present, that's our theology thing, that's really complicated. Right? Every communion seems to do it different. It was that they weren't paying attention to being hospitable to everyone equally. It's all God's body, Christ's body. Next slide, please. Is there one more body here? Because he says, that's why so many of you are weak and sick. But if we are more discerning, same word again, with regard to ourselves. So he's also saying, discern your own body. Pay attention to this. If you continually try and follow God in a way in this world that's not appropriate to the way he wants you to live in this world, it's going to affect the way you live and the way you feel and your health. It's going to affect you physically, your body. right? So the body gets messed up when the body doesn't know who the body is. A little confusing, isn't it, right? That might be why we get off course on this sometimes. I think that's clear enough. Next slide. So, preparation, preparing for communion. Let's do this. Let's continue to do this. And I see three things that we need to do. You need to know Jesus. You need to know Christ. You need to know that this is the body of Christ. You need to know that this is the body of Christ. You need to know Jesus himself. I have just um, hired a spiritual director. And a spiritual director starts by asking you a bit about yourself and your story. And the all-important question, Eric, what are you looking for? And I said, I want to know Jesus more intimately. I said that 10 years ago, too. I think I'll say it again in 10 years, right? I want to keep preparing myself to hang around Jesus more fully, more intimately, more completely. Right? So your preparation, all of our preparation is what is the Spirit telling me I need to do to know Jesus more closely, more fully, to both understand him and connect with him as a living Lord and Savior of my life? Um, practically speaking, knowing Jesus is what makes you part of this body, the body of Christ. And so someone asked me this morning, and thank you for asking me that, Where do we go with children participating in communion? As I understand it, this body's understanding of that is, parents, if your children want to participate in communion, you have a conversation with them and help them understand what it's all about, and then they're welcome to participate, okay? Um, If you are brand new to Christianity and you are participating with us, right? As you understand who Jesus is, as you understand what we're doing in communion, as you understand what we're talking about here, we want to invite you to participate. But if this is new to you, I encourage you to have a conversation with me or somebody else in leadership around here, and we will, we will help you continue to take those steps. Because this, invita- inv- inv- this is Jesus inviting you into his presence, into his love, right? And we want to facilitate that more than anything else. We don't want you to be scared of it. We don't need too many more little Rickies being terrified of communion as we go forward, okay? And the second thing, know Jesus and be hospitable. Hospitality in the Bible is this huge, huge thing, right? Hospitality in the Bible is about welcoming strangers. It's about being in this together, right? It's about even as we gather here, understanding that there's people here who need our hospitality, Uh, We had a classes meeting yesterday and um, a classes meeting, we sit and a whole bunch of people go up and speak. And I did this hospitality practice yesterday. Every time someone came off the platform from giving, sharing their story, I would smile at them and try and make eye contact with them. And guess what happens when they saw my eyes and my smile? They smiled back, right? That little move blessed them. When you're here, on a Sunday morning with this many people, however many we are, and you're walking around or standing, and you see other people, this is our human nature, it seems, morning, right? It's scary because, you know, Dwayne might start talking to me if I look at him, so we, we, right? And then you find somebody you know, and I know Rob, so I'm gonna talk to Rob, we're gonna make an icon, because that's a lot. Hospitality is saying everybody who comes around the table is equal and beloved, and somebody might be your bestie, but the person you don't know is a potential future bestie, and they're definitely somebody else who's part of the body of Christ, and our collective job is to welcome, right? This is a big community. We need all of us on welcome every single week, right? That's part of the deal. Be hospitable. It's a big part of communion. And then grace and growth. The preparatory form, I wrote down the words, I read it all this week. I have lots more thoughts on it, I can tell you them some other time if you ask me. Um, The Preparatory form encourages us to do these things, to be truly sorry, to sincerely believe, and to earnestly desire to lead a godly life, right? Um, Those are are challenging high bars, and, and they're meant to be, right? Keep on going is really what it's saying. You're not there yet, keep on going. But as you hear, keep on going, grow, also hear, as soon as you come to communion, Jesus is going, come on in, come on in, Peter. Come on in, Judas. Come on in, everybody. This is my body for you, right? And so, again, we're in that balancing act. You're being stretched, you're being challenged, but you're also being welcomed. And that's that funny dynamic of being the body of Christ where we're all urging each other on with, with as much energy as we can, but also accepting each other as openly as we possibly can, and communion is that expression, that experience of Jesus doing that with all of us. So let us prepare our hearts, our minds, our bodies, our lives, not just for communion, not just for Lent, but every day and always to keep on living out the gift we've been given in Christ. our speaker at the classes meeting, we had a retreat part to it as well, was Sid Gilma. And uh, Sid's awesome, I'll just say that. Hi Sid, in case he's watching, he's not. Um, He gave us a definition of authentic community and as I'm reading it I'm going, one, that's awesome and I want it, so I took it home. And two, this describes what we're trying to do and be in communion and in church and always. So this is gonna be my closing prayer. Jesus, let us be this kind of authentic community, rooted in the reality that we believers are redeemed and yet on the way sinners, a people for whom God's grace is sufficient because his power is made perfect in weakness. We see Jesus as Lord but we also see through a glass darkly. What we do not know is greater than what we do know. What we know, however, is sufficient for us to follow Jesus as salt and light in his groaning creation. We are poor in spirit, and that indeed is our qualification for receiving the kingdom. We celebrate both our unity in Christ and our differences as hands, feet, eyes, And ears of his body. We are each other's teachers, and we are all learners. Amen.